Thanks for joining me for our new pod week, and uh, we're about to kick it off with some new Two Kingdom thoughts. Stay with me. All right. Well, hey, I was actually going to pick it up with um, the Meredith Klein perspectivalism, uh, well, his critique of frame, uh, if you you might remember in uh, ancient history, uh, Chris and I had started going through that and I wanted to get back to it, but it's just not been working out. In fact, we've had a bit of a uh, an issue. Uh, Chris is, uh, man, he's, it sounds like the fires in California are going crazy. He actually lost all power um, and um, and worried about evacuation. So, uh, you know, he, I'm sure he wouldn't mind pr- uh your prayers if you um, uh, yield this in time, but um, I haven't heard back from him yet. I'm not sure if that's a good sign, but uh, hopefully uh, that didn't uh, materialize and hopefully he was able to, uh, they were all able to stay safe and uh, those five guys got it under control. But um, needless to say, that put a bit of a spanner in the works with the podcasting. So uh, quite understandably, we just want to move on and uh, rather go straight to what I had in mind as a backup for Two Kingdom Tuesday anyway, which is um, actually I'm kind of straddling between two things at the moment. I'm looking through Aquinas. I've started, oh my goodness, I've started reading through Thomas Aquinas's uh, Summa Theologica, which is on its own just a story. Um, but one of the things I'm interested in there is the natural law uh, ideas that he had and uh, how that relates to two kingdom thoughts. So uh, you will no doubt hear from me on that as we move forward because it is a very long book. Um, I was reading and reading and reading and reading and uh, spent, I think, probably about two weeks of just solid reading and didn't even, you know, I just didn't want to glance down at that little thing that tells you how far you are. Um, I got the Kindle, all of the volumes. I think it's about, I don't know, seven or eight volumes normally, but it's all in one book on Kindle. And uh, eventually, I look, after all my reading, I looked down and I'm only 2% through the book. So uh, it's going to be a long one. But um, there's some gold in there, no doubt. Um, and I've already experienced some of that. So I'll come back to that and we'll talk more about that as we go. Um, but there's another thing I circled back in uh, on and read through recently, <clears throat> just to kind of uh, get my bearings on on um, on some of the more popular stuff out there on Two Kingdoms. And um, I, so I read through, I had read through this a long time ago, Van, Tr- Van Drunen's uh, Living in God's Two Kingdoms. Um which uh, is is sort of a, a, a popular counterpart of his scholarly books on this. Uh, he deals with um, a few different angles, but this kind of rounds it all up and, and shows you its relevance and gives you a, a great little summary of the whole thing. And um, I thought what I might do is just quickly, uh, you know, I've forgotten how good the book was. I mean, you know, to be honest, the first time I'd read it, I probably just was not in the right mindset or uh, had read it through a bit too quickly or I don't know what went wrong there. But I I remember not being that impressed. Reading it through this time, uh, it's just a fantastic, concise, well-written summary of everything that's important about uh, this whole Two Kingdom deal. Um, So yeah, it's gone up my list of, now it's my highly recommend um, book. I think I I will start recommending this some more. if you haven't read it, definitely you need to go and get it. Living in God's Two Kingdoms, um, 
by David Van Drunen. Um, and one of the things I really love about it, it kind of took me by surprise, is that I'm, I'm going to start recommending it as a helpful summary of Klein's thought as well. Because although he doesn't footnote Klein enough, I don't think, it really does just um, summarize perfectly everything Klein's saying. And he just gives a very accessible covenant theology overview, essentially. Great intro to covenant theology, to, you know, as, as you would need to, to set the whole two kingdom thing up. Uh, you'd need a decent roundup on covenant theology. But, you know, just to, to provide an intro text, I'm always scouring for something that is a good, you know, accessible introduction to someone who wants to get into uh, covenant theology. Don't forget Living in God's Two Kingdoms by David Van Drunen. Uh, it, it's just a fantastic summary of covenant theology as well. But uh, what I thought I'd do is just give you a quick intro of, uh, of the book and just some thoughts uh, just on the lead up into it, um, rather than a, a the whole thing. I might come back and just hit some other angles, but um, really more just wanting to get you introduced to the book and to the idea, especially if you're hearing this um, at a newish uh, level. Um, it, it it comes in in this greater conversation of, of Christ and culture, this conversation that the church has been having, this polemic, this debate, this um, dialogue, however you want to put it. Um, the church has been thinking about this from the get-go. How does the church relate to culture? Uh, culture? How does Christianity relate to culture? Uh, how does Christ relate to culture? We, we looked at Niebuhr's book uh, a while back and uh, gave you a little overview there. But, um, you know, this is part of that conversation, essentially. And, um, you know, what I, what I liked about the book is, and this is, again, worth reading just for this kind of setup, um, he provides, you know, just a helpful summary of why it's so relevant. You know, he, he reminds the reader that um, you have something here that's just, it's hard to imagine anything more relevant for daily life. It really is your life as a Christian in the world. It's going to hit every single possible angle. It's going to be, it's going to, you know, it's going to affect the way that you uh, go to work, what, how you confront work and what that means for you. Is there, what is vocation? What is its significance? How does faith look in your work day? And uh, how do you vote? Certainly politically and all that sort of stuff is, is certainly in there. But, you know, down to the books that you read and the television that you watch and the way that you're able to engage with those things. Um, so, you know, just faith in the world. I mean, could you imagine anything more relevant? Not to mention the doctrinal stuff that you have to uh, give careful thought to as you work through this doctrine. It touches almost every area of doctrine, too. And, um, and so truly, it is something that is super important to be clear on. Um, I think uh, we have to make sure that there, there. We, we we put the the topic where it needs to be is basically what I'm saying. Um, there is, as Van Drunen points out, no. It's no accident. It's no accident at all that that so many of the greatest minds in the history of the church have wrestled with this problem, and that so many books have been written about it, uh, because it it again it touches on such important areas. And it, it wrestles with almost every important doctrine. So it is worth looking at, is what I'm saying. It's It becomes all-consuming if you uh, look at it properly, in a good way, I think. All right, then, as we uh, think about the actual uh, topic itself, um, really the idea is trying to create a cohesive worldview for being able to engage this way. Uh, you have to do it anyway. You're either going to do it well or you're going to do it badly. Um, but you, 
if you're going to do it well, you're going to have to have some sort of cohesive worldview that is shaped by the scripture that allows you to be able to know what you do when you go to work and and um, and how that relates to your faith and what you do when you vote and and everything I've just said. All right, and um, and to do that, as Van Druden very helpfully points out, you have to go back to wrestle with some fundamental issues. Uh, of scripture, namely even just the hermeneutical grid of scripture itself and covenant theology, uh, which itself is no more uh, no small task, uh, as you know if you've been listening to this um, show for a while. As Spurgeon said, this was you know this is, covenant theology is one of the hardest parts of theology and the theological task. So it is a difficult thing at some level, but necessary not just for ivory tower theologians. But for people who want to under, create an understanding of the world in which they live and the way in which they should engage with the world in which they live as believers. Um, and then that takes you well to why Van Drunen wrote the book, his own burden, uh, which I think is worth saying as well. Uh, th- there's much helpful in the way that he overlaps with a lot of the Ni- neo Kyperian stuff out there. Um, he, he does a great job in showing, hey, you know, he's very ironic in the way that he writes. He's not trying to be combative. I really like that about the book. Um, but, you know, making these points, listen, we agree with the Neo-Kyperians and Kyperians and all that, all the Calvinists that have, a, let's say, let's for argument's sake, call it a one kingdom view. Uh, they really, and, you know, we put John Frame into this camp as well. Um, for all those previous uh, discussions we've had about him. But basically, they're all arguing for his lordship, his sovereignty overall, and all Calvinists say amen to that. All Christians should say amen to that. God is sovereign overall, and that's good. And a lot of literature is being written about how to engage with culture, and it's emphasizing the lordship of Christ, the sovereignty of God. Amen to that. We should be excited about that. That's good. Um, It's also good... Um, in that way that it calls Christianity, you know, no matter where this theological sort of thing is coming from, um, uh, in terms of the Calvinist quarters, if it's calling Christians not to retreat and to be engaged and to be salt and lightning in the world, uh, again, amen. You know, we're not trying to uh, put forward some sort of defeatism and withdrawal and Amish culture kind of deal. Um, that should never be on the table. That should never be a, a true option. And so, you know, again, he points out we join with so many of those guys and so much of the literature out there which is um, worth being excited over um, in in the way it, it, it creates a compelling vision in, in getting out there and being involved. Uh, maybe you've read a few of those books, you'll know what I mean uh, in terms of a compelling vision. Um, in terms of just lawful occupation, our vocation, uh, they are good as well in showing the honorable uh, reality of our vocations before the Lord, the way we can truly give glory to God in the workplace. Um, Kyperian, Neo-Kyperian, uh, all that sort of angle is very, very good at just helping us to see that if we don't see that. Um, we really aren't going to work begrudgingly. We're going joyfully, and this is a Reformation truth. We're going to make a good shoe and sell it at a fair price and and uh, to give God glory and to know that, that we're doing that um, and it's honorable uh, in uh, before the Lord and in terms of our calling. Um, we they also and, and any sort of Vantillian spin-off on this would would, would do this, but uh, they also do a great job in showing the antithesis that's resulted as as because of the fall and and um, and and the antithesis that is between faith and unbelief and how that's going to run through. They make sure that I mean typically neo don't like to give a lot of 
a lot of emphasis to common grace in the way the Kleinians do because of this issue of the way that sin has tainted everything. And um, and they don't like the fact that common grace kind of nullifies that at some level. Um, although it doesn't, I mean, this is something we should agree with, not, not disagree with. And um, certainly any Kleinian would agree with that. Um, and so, <clears throat> again, something to be thankful for in the way that this is coming across in the literature. Um, and then finally, the way that they uh, are, are talking about heaven as something that is earthy rather than a Gnostic conception of some sort of heaven in the sky somewhere. This is good. And Van Drunen helpfully points out that a lot of what's coming out of that Neo-Kyperian sort of side of things is emphasizing that in an important way. And it's the true Christian hope in a resurrected body in the new creation. And we, we have to be on the same page on those things. And and so it's almost like, you know, I mean, that stuff never gets said. I don't say that stuff enough. Those are important points of overlap. I really appreciate the way he makes a big deal out of that. It goes a long way, I think, in terms of just leading to an ironic discussion. Um, he does also address the problem points, though, and, and this is kind of where I'll leave it. But I just wanted to introduce the book on those grounds. Um, there, you know, with all these these lit- uh, books coming out and all this literature being produced from a neo-Kyperian perspective, it is um, it is very forceful. It is very compelling. There are oftentimes that you feel, wow, this is amazing in terms of what they're calling the church too, and yet there is, uh, as Van Druden points out, a, a danger in in eclipsing the work of gospel mission. And, um, and, and eclipsing it with the work of kind of a societal transformation, the work of uh, redeeming politics and culture, rather than preaching the gospel and seeing people redeemed. Um, and this goes hand in hand with obviously the view that this would then have an impact in the new creation and, uh, and sometimes even uh, takes a post-millennial uh, spin there. Um, and as we've said previously, it, it, it sort of moves now in, in the very opposite direction in terms of the covenantal structure in that um, they would believe that we're, as Christians, doing uh, the work that Adam dropped, pretty much. We're, we're, we're now getting put back in the garden and get to do the dominion mandate. Now, that, that, at that level, things go completely different, and um, that's important to say as well. But that's where the book comes in. And he's going, you don't have to drop all the compelling vision stuff uh, it's not It's not that they're putting out the only option there that embraces the Lordship of Christ, the, um, you know, the involvement with culture, um, lawful occupation, giving glory to God, um, sin having corrupted and creating an antithesis, heaven being the Christian hope as in the new creation in a resurrected body. You don't have to give that up. There is another option. And that is where this whole two, reformed two-kingdom doctrine, distinct from Lutheran two-kingdom doctrine um, in that way. So, you know, it's worth checking out. If you're looking for something that um, maybe you're sold on this already and maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but maybe maybe you're not. Maybe you're still warring with these things. Do check out Van Drunen's book. Very helpful contribution and addition. And um, it'll give you a lot of Uh, insight as to what we're talking about most of the time on this uh, show. Two-age sojourner, the two-age eschatology thing is not quite the same thing, but very, very close to what Van Drunen is talking about in two-kingdom theology. So I'll leave it there. Trust that gives you some food for thought for the day at least, and uh, we'll pick it up later in the week. Bless you. (music) 